0: Wrestling and in my doubts, in my failures, you won't walk out. Your great love will lead me through. You are the peace in my troubles, see. Oh, you are the peace in my troubles, You won't let go In the questions Your truth will hold Your great love Will lead me through You are the peace In my troubled sea You are the peace In my troubled sea My lighthouse You will carry me safe to sure.
1: Well, good morning. Um, with the impending wedding of Anna and Mitchell, um, drum tryouts will um, will commence immediately following the service. So, if you are, if you have talent as a drummer or you would like to become a drummer, um, there would be space for you. Um, now, I want to welcome you. It's great to sing. Um, songs that remind us of the hope and the goodness of our Lord Jesus, and we just um, rejoice together as we celebrate, because worship is a celebration. It's good to see you on this hot August day, as we are past the middle point of August, which means we are much closer to a change in the weather. We don't know when that will happen, but we trust the Lord does, because He always um, brings about seasons in His time. But this morning, we're gathered together, even though it's hot outside, it's cool in here. worship together, to sing together, to listen to God and allow Him to transform us by His Word and by His Spirit. If you're visiting this morning, it's good to see you. If you are regular folks, if you've been here several times, it's good to have you back. If you're listening in online, um, thanks for for joining us. And um, just my hope is two things this morning. One, you feel the warmth and the presence of people around you that love you and that welcome you, and second and most important of all, you experience the presence of the Lord and the transforming power, not only of His word but of the Holy Spirit, as we join our hearts together and our voices together in worship. Let me just remind you of a few things um, this morning. Um, first of all, if you want to share a prayer request or have any questions, or just remember there's that little tan card that's always in the bulletin. There's several on the table back there. You can just jot that information on there. We love to join in, in prayer um, for things that are important to you, and they're important to us as well, so you can just jot those on there. If you'd like us to send those out of the email, that's um, great. We love to do that to gather more and more folks praying. If you'd like that to just stay within the office of the church staff, there's a little box you can check, and we'll honor that request. Let me just remind you about um, four things before we read from Psalm chapter 42, and you may want to be finding your way there. Um, One, next week, I mentioned earlier that we are um, in need of a new drummer. Next Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock, we are going to celebrate the upcoming wedding of Anna and Mitchell. Um, The wedding shower will be here at the church. It starts at 4. It's a come and go shower. Um, which means you can come and go anytime you'd like. And the registry, if you need help with the small print, they are registered at both Target and on Amazon. And so um, we know um, that they will enjoy your presence in celebrating what they are getting closer and closer to. And so um, just mark that on your calendars, make plans next Sunday, 4 o'clock. That's the shower for Anna and Mitchell. Um, second Wednesday nights are back up and rolling. Um, we, are, we pray at 6.30 on Wednesday evenings, and we'd love to have you join us. And then also during the, after, or the morning and early afternoon, we have our adult Bible study that starts at 11 o'clock. Um, we are just about to finish up the month of August, where we are just meeting for Bible study, um, where we sing from the hymnal and we pray together. And then starting again in September, we will begin having our lunch. And so it's not only a good time to study God's Word, to pray together, but it's also a good time to fellowship and enjoy a meal. And that is open to anyone of any age, and so um, just take advantage of that as your calendar um, is open, and we would love to see you there. Men, tomorrow morning, 6.30 at the Elk Diner um, is men's breakfast. And then um, also, just to let you know, right after the service here in the sanctuary, um, there will be a an information meeting about the Embrace Grace ministry that is starting very soon. And so if that is something you have expressed interest in in, or are interested in, um, just hang around in here and um, find a good place. Um, We're going to watch a video, and Deborah's going to give us some heads up about what is on the horizon, the exciting ministry that we get to be a part of that is Embrace Grace. Um, I'd like us to read from Psalm chapter 42. We'll read the entire psalm and then our deacons are going to come and we'll receive the offering today. Psalm chapter 42 says to the choir master, a mesquil of the the sons of Korah, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When... And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mitzar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Gentlemen, will you come? If you'll bow with me, please. Our dear and most gracious Heavenly Father, as we come toward you and today to worship you and to listen to your word, we're here to take tithes and offerings to pay back just a small amount of what you've given to us. Your tithe was when you gave your Son, Jesus, who died on the cross for us, Lord, and who bore all our sins. So, Lord, we're here today to thank you for that. And, Lord, we just want to pray that the Holy Spirit is among us and here in your house with us. In your Son's name, Jesus, amen.
0: You from
1: Hebrews chapter 6, we'll start reading in verse 13 this morning in just a few moments as we continue on looking at this wonderful letter to the Hebrews that is packed full of wonderful information, encouragement, lessons about the goodness of God, and most importantly, just showing us that in every Circumstance, no matter what, Jesus is always better. And I want us to start thinking today, as we look at the idea of a better hope, that as we look around us, just out in the community, you see men and women that you could politely say, or limply, weakly limping along from one day to the next. They're they're in need of encouragement. They're They're starving for hope. They live in a life that is filled with broken promises. They themselves are broken people. And they live in a broken world. Doesn't sound like a very encouraging way to start, but hang on, it gets better. But it really gives us a true picture of what happens in in life. Life is real. There are collisions of personality. There are, there are tragedies. There are traumatic experience. There is sin and there is hardship. And people all around us, including ourselves many times, are, are hoping for things just to be different. Maybe it'll just get better. And what if for those people and for us, we had in mind the idea that there is a better hope? Something that goes way beyond you know wishful thinking because as you look around and you see hollow eyes that seem to look right past you and you hear shallow conversations and these wishful declarations even though it's dry and hot and we could say that probably we need rain and cooler weather and more than that we need a flooding rain of the hope of Jesus to come pour over and fill our land. We need to know and let the people around us know that God makes promises to broken people. We'll see that today as we look at the example of a guy named Abraham. And if you have your doubts about Abraham's brokenness, you can just read through his story and figure out that he was a guy just like us that listened, blew it, listened, blew it, but God was faithful and Abraham trusted God's promises. Promises. God's promises that remind everyone that's willing to listen that God loves them. Promises that God has a plan, a hope and a future. Promises that are never broken and that are full of real hope. And if you can just grab a hold of a small smidgen of this hope if you experience it in your life it's contagious this hope that's anchored not in what we wish would happen, but in the truth of what God is doing, that as we look around and see people that are hurting, surrounded by the brokenness of this world, that there is a lifeline of hope that can be extended. That's not soon passing or fleeting, but it's firm and secure. And it transforms. It's founded on God's promises. It's secure in the purpose of Jesus, in God's plan, and we have the privilege not only to receive, but to offer up hope to hurting people. And this morning, just think about this, as we listen to these verses, because God always keeps His promises, and and He does, we run to Jesus for hope, encouragement, and strength. Because God always keeps His promises, the steadfast faithfulness of a God that does not change. We run declaration, not we can run, but we do run, we should run to Jesus. Why? Because He's the source of hope. He's the only one that can bring encouragement. He provides the strength that we need. As we read the closing verses of chapter 6, we begin in verse 13, and the author introduces us to the story of a man named Abraham. For when God made a promise to Abraham, Since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly, that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Oh Lord, we are just blown away by the fact that you love us, that you offer us your grace, you extend us your mercy, and that in you we have hope. And so help us this morning as we focus on the truth that you keep your promises, that we should, can, and will run to Jesus to find hope, encouragement, and strength. We need your help this morning to understand your word, and we trust you'll provide it, not only by the page that we can read, but by your Holy Spirit that speaks and teaches. So Lord, help us, and we trust you will, in Jesus' name, amen. Now as you're reading through the book of Hebrews, you always have to keep in mind the writer's main idea, his main point of view, that Jesus is better. It's the formula that he goes throughout the book with, that no matter what you throw up against Jesus, He is always going to be better. And because of that, we've already learned we can draw near to Him. We should hold on to Him, and then we should use Him as our anchor to move on toward maturity. If you're not growing, if you're not moving forward, You're declining. There's no standing still in faith. And then he calls us to full assurance of hope. To imitate those faithful saints that were patiently waiting for God's promises. And to help us understand even better, he focuses in on the example of a man named Abraham. To emphasize the reliability of God's promises and to proclaim an important truth that Jesus is our anchor of hope. So there's a outline in your bullets that will help you find your way through these verses. And in the first verses, 13 through 15, we find this story of Abraham, and we learn about when God makes a promise. He made a promise to a man named Abraham. And to summarize that promise, we can use two words, bless and multiply. His original name was Abram. He was called from the land of Haran to a place he didn't know. He didn't receive many details. It required a great deal of trust. But in God's calling, he promised that he would make this man Abram into a great nation. Saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. Or another way of saying that is in blessing you, I will bless you. In multiplying you, I will multiply you. And you see this man, Abram, promising, having a promise from God that he would make him a great nation, would bless him and multiply him. But look at what God has to start with. An old woman, an old man, his barren wife, and a big promise, a son. And after a long wait, this child of promise is born of a miracle, and there's joy and excitement, there's struggle and heartache along the way, and this promise starts to take flight. And then you read in Genesis chapter 22 that suddenly things almost crash to a halt when this promise is challenged. It's the backdrop for this passage in Hebrews. Scripture tells us that God tested Abraham, and boy did He. Take Isaac, your only son, and offer him as a sacrifice on Mount Moriah. Could you just imagine the, the thoughts that are going through this man of faith, Abraham? Okay, wait a minute. I'm supposed to have a promise that I'm going to be a great nation. And to be a great nation, we're going to need a lot of offspring. And to have offspring, I need what? A son. God's given me a son. And now here I have this promise that's supposed to be fulfilled, but God's telling me that I need to go offer him up as a sacrifice. But as we read through the story in Genesis 22, and I hope you will later, we find that Abraham showed faith and obedience to God. And God responded by being faithful to His promise. That as they walked up the hill in obedience, as God told Abram to prepare an altar, He prepared an altar. He told his son to lie on the altar. And he's ready there to offer him up. And then we find out that God is the Lord who provides a ram in the thicket. Listen to verse 15 of Genesis 22. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and multiply you. Your offspring is the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. test issued, test passed, promise continues. So God makes this promise and when we see in verse Hebrews in verse 14 of Hebrews that God swore by himself. Now, your mind may start thinking like mine, why would God need to swear about anything? He is totally faithful. He always keeps His promises. And when He says something, it's the final word. But in verse 13 we read that since God had no one else to swear by that was greater than Him, He swore by Himself. And He did it not for His own name, but He did it to give a greater level of assurance to this man, Abraham. And so that oath made God's promise more certain. God went out of his way to do something extraordinary to assure this man, Abraham, that his promise was true. To continue to wait. I'm not a very good waiter. I don't like to wait. Even just a short amount of time after something is expected, I get antsy and I become anxious and um, I, I just, I'm just not a good waiter. And I'm sure some of you are Not good waiters either. It tests your patience. Time passes and doubt, frustration increase. And I might wait. And I might even wait quietly. But I wouldn't say in a lot of instances it's actually patient waiting. But Abraham is an example of patient waiting. Think about this God made a promise to Abraham when he was 75. Twenty-five years later, he has his son. And after the promise, he waited and waited and waited. And then once he gets what he thinks is the start of the promise, the promise is tested. And he wonders, is it really going to happen? And some of you can relate to this. I I know you can. God makes a promise to you and see a long period of time before there's a result. Or maybe God's made a promise and you're still in the midst of that waiting room of faith. Let me just encourage you in this. God's worth waiting on. And if you're still waiting, be like the author tells us to be imitators of those who through faith and patience receive or inherited the promise. And don't look at the obstacles and the difficulties and remember that if God made a promise, He can overcome all of the obstacles. And even when we try to help God along, and if you read through the story of Abraham and his wife Sarah, you'll see that they did try to help God along in fulfilling the promises. God can work in the midst of that too. And as this time continued, old became very old. Seventy-five turned to a hundred. Sarah was ninety. And then Isaac is born. There's excitement, hope, expectation. And even though Isaac was the first, those many nations were still to come. Look at verse 15. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Now there's two ways that you can look at this. First of all, there's a partial fulfillment in Abraham's day. He has the first son, and then that son has... Twins, and that grows into a great number. And this man, Abraham, lived a 175. And I thought 100 was old. His wife lives to 127. And before Abraham dies, Isaac, son of promise, marries Rebekah. They have twin boys, Jacob and Esau. And the promise made to Abraham is extended to Isaac, It goes on to Jacob, and the promise continues. And the Israelites grow and grow. And so we see a partial fulfillment, but it all points toward something greater. There's a final fulfillment of God's promise, not in the people that walked on the earth, but in the person of Jesus, that through Him all the nations would be blessed. That means both Jews and Gentiles, people from every tribe, nation, and tongue, would be blessed to be a part of the people of God by faith in His Son. And so we see Abraham, who inherited God's promise by faith and patience. And the author makes this point. If God's promises were reliable to a man named Abraham, then Christians can claim the same hope that their promise that God's promises to them are true as well. And you see, the keeping of the promise is based on God's reliability record, which is flawless, not our record. And so verses 16 through 18 point to God's unchangeable character. I said earlier to give greater credibility, you know, God swore by himself to hate Abraham. But here in verse 16, he helps us to see that humans swear by something greater to give credibility to their own arguments. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. You might have somebody say to you from time to time, I promise you this is true. And then they might think they need to add a little more emphasis, so they swear. I swear on my lucky penny or something you know, like that, to make it even more credible. That's kind of silliness, but in ancient courts, when someone testified and then gave an oath, it was a legal guarantee of truthfulness. And the oath alone could put an end to an argument, a dispute. And so, they would always swear by something greater than they were. You read about, you know, and you hear, you know, God's admonishment. You know, some people will swear by, you know, God's name. You see people that testify in court. You know, they they swear an oath and they they're asked, you know, to, to tell the truth, whole truth, nothing about the truth. And I don't even know because of the state of our country if presidents still do an oath, but they would do the oath and they put their hand on the on the Bible. Jesus told us that we should just simply let our yes be yes and our no be no. But the main point here is not about whether it's ethical to take an oath or not. It's an argument that goes from a lesser example to a greater example that if human beings could establish truth with an oath, how much more could God establish His truth when He makes an oath? And so the oath didn't establish God's credibility. It brought certainty to Abraham. God always does what He intends, what He says. He always tells us what He means, and His word is always good enough, even without an oath. But verse 17 helps us to see a little more about why that oath was important. When God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of His purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath. So, the oath of God was a confirmation that the hope of blessing the nations was still in play. And that Abraham's promised descendants would include all those who placed their faith and trust in God. It wouldn't just be his physical Descendants, but it would be those who place their trust in Christ. Galatians 3.29 in the Phillips translation says it this way, And if you belong to Christ, you are true descendants of Abraham. You are true heirs of His promise. So those that belong to Christ or Christians are heirs to the promises of Abraham. And the validity of that promise that God made stood on what verse 18 calls two unchangeable things. Well, what are they? They're the promise that God made and the oath that He followed up with. The Bible teaches very clearly that God is unchanging. So that means He's always holy. He's always faithful. He always loves and everything He does is always true. And so the surety of those promises is why in those truths, as Malachi three six tells us, he is God, and he does not change. He's everything he does is certain because he can't lie. So when God speaks, what he speaks is always accomplished, and his word always accomplishes exactly what he intends. So all of Scripture will be fulfilled. and based on how certain that promise is, The author tells Christians to hold fast to hope. Verse 18, we get to kind of the punchline of the passage. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Do you see how the author places himself in that? We who have fled for refuge. So he's including himself. We could have what he calls strong encouragement to hold fast to hope. It's such a beautiful section. You have the idea of someone who is hurting and struggling. They're in need and they're running and they're searching and they're looking for a place of safety, a place of refuge, a little shelter in the storm. And what they find is strong encouragement. The word there has the ideas of support, consolation, exhortation, all built together that encouragement exists. There's an opportunity. There's an atmosphere for healing, to happen, for hope to be rekindled. And it's the hope that's right out in front of us, available to us at any moment. Right there to grab hope. Right there for us to experience. There is hope. See, so God has a place for you to run into and be saved and you find in verse 3 the in verses 19 and 20 the last point that Jesus is the anchor of hope. We sang it last week. There's wonderful songs that point to the truth that Jesus is our anchor of hope. Look at verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast or steady anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. So what the author's doing is he is meshing together two metaphors. One takes us out onto the waves of the ocean and one takes us into the very inner sanctum of the temple, the Holy of Holies. And he says there is an anchor for our soul. Now if you're a Christian, you already have that. The author tells us that. We have this. So the anchor is there. It is available. And the anchor... Early Christian symbol of faith, of stability and hope. You know, if you think about it, an anchor drops down to the bottom; it keeps a boat from or a ship from drifting. And even the Greek philosophers recognized this anchor as a symbol of hope. Listen to two. One just kind of got a funny name, Epictetus. He said this: A ship should never depend on one anchor, or a life on one hope. Now, he didn't know the right hope, or he would have known there's only one hope. Pythagoras, when he wasn't writing theorems, said this, when he wasn't staring at triangles. Wisdom, great-heartedness, and courage, these are anchors no storm can shake. Again, they recognize that there is a need for an anchor, but they they fail to recognize that the anchor is not found in the philosophies and ideas of man, but it's found in a purpose, in a person that there is an anchor, a hope anchor, and it's the fulfillment of God's promise in Jesus. And it's for the whole person. It's not just for our physical body. It's for our emotional well-being. It's for our, our spirit. It's intended for anyone who is in need and it extends for the entire life. It's sure and steady or secure and immovable. One author said it this way, it's firm, sure, because it won't bend, twist, or break when placed under strain, and it's secure because it won't drag or slip in the storm. See, the current of culture that we live in is swift, and we need an anchor. The torrent of temptation is persistent. We need an anchor. The deluge of doubt challenges our faith. We need an anchor. Floods of fear threaten to overwhelm. We need an anchor. And no matter what the circumstance, the Bible tells us we have an anchor. And the anchor is fixed behind the curtain. And so we go from the deck of the ship to the very temple of God behind the curtain. Verse 19, a hope that enters into the inner Place behind the curtain. The very holy of holies that that veil covered, that only the high priest entered on that most holy day after being cleansed to offer sacrifice. But verse 20 says, Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a priest, high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We get to chapter 7, we'll learn more about Melchizedek. But here the point to us is that there is a real hope, it's better hope, and it's all because of Jesus. Because He lived, He died, and He was resurrected, and He ascended to the Father, that there is a hope that is everlasting. Because Jesus went ahead of us and opened up the way. He's the pioneer who blazed the trail for us. Because of His work, it's possible for anyone who puts their faith in Him to follow along beautiful story it is to read in that account of the crucifixion that when Jesus died, the veil of the temple was torn. Not from bottom to top, but top to bottom as if God Himself ran it with His hands. Meaning the barrier between God and men was removed and now we have a Savior who sits at the right hand of God in that inner place, the most holy place and because He is there, there is opportunity for un. Inhibited, unlimited access to God. Uninhibited. We can boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence because Jesus is already there and He bids us to come. We can come before the very presence of God to find mercy and grace in our time of need. See, the anchor is just the symbol. But the reality is, is Jesus. Amen? And because of Him, there's better hope. It's the only real hope that exists because He's not like any other of the high priests and we have no need for another high priest. And He ends this section and prepares us for the next by telling us that Jesus is the great high priest. Remember, the only One to be called the great high priest forever, eternal after the order of Melchizedek. Can't wait for next week because we'll see that he's appointed by nature not of the law but of an indestructible life. And because God always keeps His promises, we can run to Jesus, the One who is our High Priest for hope, encouragement, and strength. Let me ask you, just as we close out today today, what, what might it be that you're seeking refuge from? What have you tried to run to? How's that working out? And then beyond your little bubble of life, who do you know that needs a refuge right now? Anything we try to turn to other than Jesus is always going to come up short because Jesus... Is better, but there is better hope because it's hope in Jesus. And here's the great news: you can experience it today for the very first time, for the 1,000th time, for the next time, and it's real and it's better hope. And when you grab a hold of that hope, when you experience that hope, you know what happens? It becomes contagious. Contagious hope that's anchored in the person of Jesus. So when we look around and we see those hurting people surrounded by brokenness that need someone to throw out the lifeline of hope, that we have something firm and secure to share with them about. We have something that can transform their lives, the truth that's in us of what God can do. It's promised by God. It's secure... In Jesus. And what could be more exciting than being a part of what God is doing to offer the hope of Jesus to hurting people? Let me just give you three things that could help us maybe apply this to our life during the next week, and then then we're going to pray and we'll be done. The first thing is run to Jesus. Jesus. Too many times I think we feel like because of our guilt and shame that we need to run from Jesus. Oh man, what if He found out what I did? What's He going to think about me? He's going to be ashamed of me. He couldn't possibly love me. And in those moments when you feel like you've got to run away and hide, the place to go is to run to Jesus and to hide in Jesus. Don't ever forget that. He is waiting. And so if you want to find hope, run to Jesus. Second thing, hold on to hope. Abraham is our example of patient waiting. Some of us, if we had time, could share testimonies about praying and waiting and holding on to promises year after year after year and finally seeing God bring fulfillment. Hold on to hope. And then here's the last thing share. You know, I want you to jot this down and maybe do this today. You know, make a commitment to call or or text a friend, to offer words of encouragement, words of hope. It's not your job to to fix them. It's your job to offer hope to them. Then pray for that person by name. Pray actually before you send it. Say God who, God what, and then after you send it, just pray that God would work. So God who, God what, God work. Call or text a friend, and then this other one. You know, it's easy to call or text, but maybe, you know, maybe a personal engagement. Invite someone to come with you to church next week. Hey, would you like to be a part of my Bible class? We're, you know, we're we're studying, you know, right now, and it's really great. We're Jeremiah. and We want you to join us. Come and be here. You know, we have worship. It starts at ten thirty. We'd love for you to join us. And then, if the time is if you have the time and you have the budget, you know maybe you have the opportunity to take it to the next level and say, "Hey, why don't you come to church with me next Sunday?" And after that, we'll go have lunch. Maybe invite them to your house or invite them to something like that. But share hope. There's going to be a the next slide before we pray. It's just and you can jot these down and Sid Cole probably leave them up, but you know. Um, just had some songs that I were kind of of listening to and thinking about during the last couple of weeks. Um, The first three are contemporary songs. The last one is a song um, that's a hymn. It's an old hymn. Um, I'll email out this week. Um, I I have them in a Spotify playlist, so if you're a Spotify person, you can just pull them up. Um, There might even be a couple more on there. But uh, just some songs that would help us as we reflect on this idea of hope. But as we think about this truth, Because God always keeps His promises, we can run to Jesus for hope, encouragement, and strength. Let us be people that run to Jesus, hold on to hope, and share hope when they Let's pray. Thank You, O Lord, for how good You are. How wonderful Your love is. The depth of Your grace and Your mercy. And the truth that never changes that You are the sure and steady anchor. Help us as we reflect on these truths to allow them to change and transform us. That we would go from hopeful to hope-filled, and that that hope-filling would come to be hope-overflowing. And because of the very presence of Jesus in our lives, we would become the most hopeful people in our community, in our families, in the places that we work, in the places that we go, bringing glory to you and sharing the good news of Jesus. So help us to run to Jesus, hold on to hope, and share hope when able. We love you, O Lord, and we pray in your name. Amen. I'm going to take a moment to reflect on these verses and the thought of the anchor of hope that we have in Jesus could be that very first experience. And, you know, I've heard a lot about Jesus. I've been in church a long time, but today I just want to, to nail it down and make it solid. I want to have that anchor in my life <coughs> that will never slip and find that in Jesus. Maybe it's just a return, just a refreshing time of saying, God, I'm back to you and I want to trust in you. Or maybe it's just responding into being one of those people that is just offering up hope whenever we have opportunity. Maybe today God's saying, hey, I want you to plug in and be a part of this church and move along with them as they hold out the hope of Jesus to those people that are hurting. Or maybe there's something else that you just need to pray about that it's between you and God and you have that opportunity in this space to offer those prayers that He would listen. I'll be at the front if you need somebody to pray with. Or maybe you just grab someone next to you and say, hey, will you pray with me? Listen to some quiet piano music as we focus on the Lord and hear what he says to us. May we respond. May that be the cry of our hearts. Deborah, why don't you come and tell us a little bit about the meeting that's upcoming. And why don't we be there? Today after the service, we'll have a brief meeting about Embrace Grace. And so um, what we're going to do is we're just going to take a five-minute break, go to the restroom. Um, our Embrace Grace classroom will be all the way down at the end of this hall. And so I want to invite you to go check out the room. It's been remodeled, and there are snacks for you because I know it's lunchtime. There's popcorn, there's water. And so I want to encourage you, walk down there, grab a snack, come back, and um, there's a video, it's going to be about 15 minutes, maybe not quite. I'm going to speak just a few minutes. I'm going to try to make the most of our time, but I really want to encourage you to be here. We all need to be a part of this. It, and and the thing is, is it can't fall on any one person's shoulders. It's too much. And so I want to encourage you to just take your five-minute break and get back in here, and let's get started so we can get home. Okay? Thank you, Deborah. Here's your applause, as usual. I just want to thank you for worshiping. Our worship team is going to come up now, and they're going to lead us in a closing song. And I just want to thank you for, for being here. I'm just a... To remind you, if you weren't here here last week, or maybe to remind you in case you may have forgotten this morning, um, just exciting news. I jumped up and down last week. I can't do that this week. Um, if I jump up and down two weeks in a row, y'all will start to wonder if I'm maybe getting a little more excitable than normal. But no, the, the good news is that this morning, I'm um, three worship services, so it's probably already happened. Um, the pastor at First Baptist Church of Burleson is going to challenge um, 10 young Families from their congregation to come and be a part of our fellowship for the next um, 12 months. So the challenge will be issued today. Um, they're going to be, you know, have opportunity to think about it, pray about it, maybe um, ask some questions. And so um, we're super excited about the prospect of that. And I wanted um, just to remind you again, and just continue to be praying because we're just, you know, asking God to bring up, you know, and to raise up the right people and bring them here. Um, back in 1996. Several families from First Baptist Burleson came here to a little church that was called Hilltop that was reformed as Cross Timber Baptist Church, and um, we have several of those folks that just stayed the entire time. Um, And so um, we're just praying that God would would use this um, to create energy to help us as we we move forward and we grow. And so um, just join us in being excited and being prayed, and um, as I find out more information, or as maybe we have... Some families start to trickle in. Um, I'll let you know more as we go. Well, we're going to sing, so I need you to stand up with us. And after we sing, um, don't forget to go down and check out the Embrace Grace room. There's snacks down there, and if you're staying for the meeting, we'll get started in about five minutes after we conclude. So, Lord bless you. Let's sing. Victory in Jesus, my Savior.